Um, it's, uh, most, most of you don't know me, probably almost all of you don't know me. My name's Ryan, and um, I love to get to go and talk about Jesus and the Bible in different places. It's always an honor, but it's particularly an honor to be here at Calvary this morning. Um, and especially so grateful that Dave would invite me on the bad daylight savings weekend. That's really strategic, but <laughs> I, uh, it's particularly an honor to be here One for a couple reasons. One's just a small factoid that's kind of fun. Um, Daryl Johnson, people know who Daryl Johnson is? Yeah, he's kind of one of my heroes. Uh, what I heard is that he started following Jesus in this church, which is pretty cool, pretty crazy. Um, and so that's a pretty cool piece of legacy there that that's where that started. He's impacted me and a lot of other pastors a lot. Um, also, it's an honor to be here because although you don't know me, you are one of the churches that I get to spend the most time praying for. I like to pray for a bunch of different churches, but um, at the retreat that we were at, this pastor's retreat, um, they took pictures of all the different pastoral couples and they um, put them on this wall and you could go and take one and you commit to praying for that couple. Well, I felt Dave and Andrea probably need a lot of prayer, uh, <laughs> particularly Andrea after I'd met Dave. No, but we took theirs, hung it on our fridge, and um, have had the opportunity to be praying for them and for Calvary, for Theo, for Oliver. Um, you know, maybe having a picture of Dave on your fridge doesn't sound that exciting, but Andrea's a lot better looking, so it kind of balances it out. Okay, sarcasm's my love language. I've got out of my system. Remember, we're going to talk about Jesus, but I've been praying for you guys a lot before we've even met, and uh, excited to be hearing what Jesus is doing through this community, and um, I, I just, I, I always want to say something like this, because when you're part of a church, it can become pretty routine, and you kind of just... If you've been a parent, you recognize how easy it is for your kids to, like, kind of take you for granted, you know? It's just like, yeah, you're feeding them every day, you're doing all these things. Um, I haven't known Dave and Andrea for that long, but what I know is that they deeply love Jesus, they deeply love this church, and when you're a pastor working at a church, you're giving a lot, uh, even that people don't see mentally, emotionally from your family and all that. So if you've been here for a while and maybe it's easy to feel like a routine, I'd encourage you at some point to take a moment to reflect on how fortunate Calvary is to, to have a great pastoral couple. I'm sure the other staff is great. I just haven't gone to go swinging with them yet. But um, yeah, it's, it's a great gift that Calvary has. And so if you haven't taken a moment recently to thank God for that, then yeah, yeah, that's great. Get those amens out because what I have for the rest of the service, I don't know if it'll be worth it. So that's great. Matthew 5 through 7, the sermon on the Mount, I love this passage. You guys have been working through it. You're calling it the counter-cultural kingdom. And uh, I was so honored when Dave invited me to come and speak. And I'm speaking in Matthew 7, 21 uh, to 23. And here's, here's what I'd like to do this morning. Here's kind of the roadmap. I would like to, um, I, I just wanna journey into the passage together. And here's how I'd like to, is we'll read the passage and then I'd like to actually kind of just like maybe paint a little bit of like a visual picture of kind of the setting, what this might be like. Then I'd like for us to like zoom way out on the passage and then zoom way back in. Um, and in the next three hours, we should be able to accomplish all of that. So, um, so that's kind of where I hope we can go this morning. Um, but I'm just going to read it to you guys, Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Jesus is closing up the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. 
Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. This is a really intense passage. I think we really like to think about like the soft, kind, holding a baby lamb, Jesus, that's just like, you know, he's, this is intense. And one of the reasons I'll say it's particularly intense is when I think about who he's actually talking to. So what Jesus has just said here, basically, is there are kind of two types of people. There are people who will enter the kingdom of heaven and people who won't enter the kingdom of heaven. In our world, we like to often think about a lot of things in, through nuance and on spectrums and to degrees and all that. And I actually think that's really good in a lot of character, in categories. Much of life is nuance driven. Much of us as people have a lot of nuance. We aren't just right or left or this or that. However, Jesus offers a lot of teaching, and we're gonna see this when we zoom out a bit, that isn't that nuanced. He's kind of in this passage saying, yeah, it's kind of like you're in or you're out. You're either doing the will of my father, you're part of the kingdom of heaven, or you're not. And I would suggest that when you're part of a church community, and maybe you show up fairly regularly, showing up regularly to church in North America in 2023 means what, like once every three or four weeks, but you show up in some kind of like pattern that's routine to your family. When you do that, it's probably easy to read this type of passage and think, yeah, people outside of these walls who aren't here, as though this building acts as some kind of spiritual dome that fulfills what Jesus is calling us to here. Here's the picture I have when I think about the Sermon on the Mount. First of all, where Jesus is, not a lot of high mountains. The mountain he's on is probably actually a hill that's probably several hundred meters lower than where we are now <laughs> compared to sea level. He's probably like, if we could dig a hole for a long time before we hit China, we'd hit the hill that Jesus is on. And he's on this little hillside and he, he rolls up and he's in this like Middle Eastern first century climate. It's probably hot. Maybe, maybe he goes up there. Maybe it's nice to, they found a patch of grass. It's nice to recline on. And, and I imagine Jesus doesn't have some big stage with like the Britney Spears mic that, you know, Calvary Baptist has for me this morning. He doesn't have some big sound system. He doesn't have like a megaphone or anything like that. He's probably this fairly humble teacher who just rolls up to the side of this hill. And his audience in my, the, the way I envision it is that there are probably layers to his audience. Because this isn't, hey, we built a building. We're going to do this thing in here. Here's our website. You can know what to expect. Check out our, you know. He, Jesus isn't running a live stream, you know, with like church online chat or anything like that. People are just coming and seeing what the heck is going on. And, and I would imagine as Jesus is chilling on the side of this hill that there's probably like this, like probably some people that are really close to his feet. These are the, probably the 12 that we read about a lot. There are a lot of disciples, but probably these 12, these people who've kind of said, well, I've given everything. You remember that time I was like mid-shift fishing on my dad's boat and you said, follow me. And I just said, hey, dad, I'm out, you know? It's like, those people are probably right there. They're all in. The things Jesus says, they're challenging, but they're pretty committed. Then there's probably another layer. People who are like, yeah, we're pretty interested, but we're still kind of like, sometimes Jesus, like we saw him with that rich young ruler where he said, sell everything and give it away. And they're kind of like, oh, I just hope he doesn't say that to me, right? Maybe another layer of people who, they're still figuring it out. They really love when Jesus feeds 5,000 people. They loved when, like, Jesus healed the sick. They, they like that. But some of the things Jesus says, like, he said to chop off your hand and gouge out your eye if it causes you. Like, I don't know about that. 
probably a layer of skeptics a little further back. They're sitting there, they're skeptical, they're like writing down or maybe chiseling out, I don't know how you write in the first century, writing down things to try to trap Jesus in his words and they're trying to take him down. We know he, they won't be able to take him down, right? Just kidding, too soon? Yeah, he gets killed. But um, they, they, they're plotting this thing already. Is that too dark? I don't know. Anyways, Jesus, forgive me. But they're plotting this thing and, uh, and, and they're probably like passers-by who are just like kind of hearing some stuff. They've heard of Jesus of Nazareth. They're kind of, you know, taking in a little bit here and there. And I think that's probably a caricature of the church. Um, I think it's quite easy for us. Like, we get into a routine of, like, going to a building or doing certain things or be involved in certain activities. And we feel like, well, we are obviously in this category. Jesus is talking to people who are at the service, right? Like, Jesus is talking to people who are hearing the sermon. People, Jesus is talking to people who are, like, there. And what does he say? He says, um, many Many. Just to like uncover some of the Greek language there, that means lots, okay? It's like Greek lesson here. Many will say to me on that day, this is a scary passage. I'm not inviting you to do this right now, but if you were to like look around, what Jesus is suggesting is that in a gathering like this, that maybe there are many of us, this is intense, that aren't there, aren't true disciples of Jesus. I want to zoom out. This is a weird thing for Jesus to kind of have these like two categories and this intense teaching, but this is actually quite a theme throughout scripture. And in fact, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew 7, 13 and on, um, you know, in churches we do like series. We're doing this four-week series on this and we brand new stuff. Jesus is kind of in like a four-week mini-series. And if I were to label it, I'd maybe call it like the two paths or whatever, but Jesus didn't ask, so it doesn't matter what I think. But starting in 7, 13, Jesus, uh, by the way, uh, one of the great joys this week was I got to um, listen to Sarah's sermon from last Sunday. If you're here, it was excellent. She, and she taught on these two first sections of this. There's this narrow path and this broad path. And Jesus says, I can be found on this narrow path, but there aren't very many people there. But there's this broad path that many people find. And I'm just not there. And he says, it's, he's like, it's not like a network of roads. There isn't this big like map. There isn't like, you know, all the options. It's not somebody, he's like, there's a narrow path and there's a broad path. Not that nuanced. Then he goes on to talk about uh, false teachers. And he says, you know, there are those who teach others the truth of the gospel. There are those that, like, bear good fruit. And then there are those that don't. Good trees and bad trees. And he kind of goes on this, like, repetitive, good trees can't bear bad fruit, bad trees can't, good trees bear good. And we're like, yeah, we get it, Jesus. Good trees, good fruit, bad trees, bad fruit. And then he gets to this section, and he says there are like true and false disciples, people who are going to say, Lord, Lord, on that day, and some who are, Jesus is going to say, yeah, well done, and those who's going to say, I, I don't think I know you. And then after this, Jesus concludes with the wise and foolish builder, and I won't go into this too much because I don't want to steal Dave's thunder, but he talks about these two builders, someone who builds their life on the rock-solid foundation, and that is, he says, those who hear my words and put them into practice. And that's like a wise man who built his house on a rock-solid foundation. Those who hear my words and reject them are those who put, build their house on a sand foundation. And it's going to fall down. It's not going to last. And if it, wasn't, if it was just these four passages, we might be like, well, that's not a big biblical theme. But this is all throughout Scripture. If you read Psalm 1, so we're doing a little bit of a Bible binge watch now. But if you read Psalm 1, the opening of the book of Psalms, Psalms is divided into five books. And that's to represent the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah, the Pentateuch. Matthew's kind of divided like that too. But Psalm 1 is this foundational psalm. And here's what it says. It says there are 
two paths. There's the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. Not the way of the righteous and the way of the like, you know, not so good, not like, or pretty good, not so bad. You know, it's not like A, B, C, D, F. It's like there's the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. And, and the psalmist writes and says, those who walk the way of the wicked will perish. But those who, and this is like the key in Psalm 1, meditate on the law of God, the word of God, day and night, and walk in God's righteousness will be like a tree planted by streams of water yielding its fruit in season. Maybe you've heard that before. It's a wild picture. Out here in BC, we're like, big deal. Trees grow everywhere and have fruit everywhere. This is a psalmist writing thousands of years ago in the Middle East in an arid desert, and they didn't have irrigation or like all that kind of technology then. They maybe had like a bucket or something like that, but like a tree thriving and being bountiful in a dry and arid desert. Is that not a picture for our lives in this broken world of what that can look like to prosper in the calling that God's brought us to. But many take that broad path, and they're like the chaff, Psalm 1 says, that gets thrown away. This is highlighted again in the first five books of the Bible. You can read about it in Deuteronomy, where, where God says, he says, there are blessings for those who obey me and curses for those who disobey me. These two paths. It's quite the theme in Scripture. I don't think that is just countercultural to the world outside of these walls. I think that's pretty countercultural to 21st century North American Christianity. This idea of like, like we want to soften it. We want to be like, oh, you know, Jesus is like so nice. Jesus, what he says here is he says, on that day, in this passage we're talking about, on that day, many will say to me this. Well, what he's talking about, and we sang about it earlier, is this day when he'll return and there will be judgment. And there's a really glorious invitation with that judgment, but there's also a real warning. And as we read this passage this morning, I'd like for us to understand, like, there's a real warning about us in the church, and there's a real invitation for anybody in the world. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 25. Again, two groups. He says, one day I'm going to come, and I'm going to separate the sheep from the goats. And not goat like LeBron or Michael Jordan. It's a bad kind of goat, okay? He says, those who have lived in harmony and relationship and obedience to me will enter life with me. There's a reward through that judgment. But for those who have rejected me, there is not a reward with that judgment. There's punishment with that. And we don't think about that a lot. We think about Jesus being countercultural in the world outside of the walls. But Jesus, when he came, he was very countercultural to the kind of church system of the day. If Jesus came today, it'd be the same thing. I don't think, I, I don't even know if Jesus would last three years before getting crucified in, in our modern day church. He might, we might be quicker at it, you know? So Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only what? The one who does the will of my Father in heaven. So we've kind of zoomed out, and we see this theme where Jesus and the Bible says there are these two paths, and there's one of invitation, there's one of warning, and you can come and join. And Jesus simplifies it really nicely here, and he says, it's about doing the will of my Father. Now, when I was on Calvary's website, I was looking through the YouTube message, I saw that Dave had all these, like, pithy titles for, like, you know, Gates and, uh, I forget, um, anyways, oh, helpers, not haters, all these, and I was like, oh, I gotta come up with some cool title, I'm not as, like, high-tech. So, anyways, this week, I called it Listening and Living. That seems like, I don't know, on par with what Dave was doing, so trying to fit in. And I think this is the invitation here is Jesus is inviting us in the end of this sermon to listen 
and to live. I would probably say obey, but obey doesn't start with an L, and I wanted to be like, you know, be as cool as Dave with the title. So listening and living. Only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now hold up, because this second part of the passage is crazy. There are going to be people who come to Jesus and say, we did miracles? I know this is a Baptist church, so just in case you haven't heard, there's a third part of the Trinity called the Holy Spirit. I'm just kidding. I used to work in a Baptist church, so I just... The best thing about being a guest speaker is I, like, I can't, like, you know, I, like, I, I guess unless Dave comes and rips me off the stage, it's just like, you know, I, I can't be fired. So people are going to say, we did miracles. We drove out demons. We, full disclosure, I've been, like, following Jesus for a while. I've gone to work in churches and do this thing. I haven't driven out any demons. That's crazy. I, I wouldn't even say, it, I guess it depends how you define it, but I wouldn't really say, I've, like, performed any miracles. I mean, besides maybe the day that I, like, proposed and she said yes, and it's like, wow, that was, like, the most miraculous thing that she said yes, but I haven't done that. Prophecy, well, maybe, like, God's given me some words and insights and stuff like that, but, like, people are going to come say that. That's high-level stuff. If I'm in line one day, like, judgment day, I don't know what it's like. I don't know if there's a line. And the person before me is like, Jesus, I did a whole bunch of miracles, prophesied a bunch, drove out a bunch of demons, and he's like, I don't know you. I'm in line behind that person. I'm like, dang, like, I just, I'll just follow him and say, I'm out, you know? This is wild. And I don't think in our modern church that many of us are going to be like, I did these things. I think what Jesus is using is hyperbolic language to say the most extreme good acts that you could think of on your own that you could do aren't going to cut it. He'll say, good for you. Like, that's cool that you did that in the time that you decided to have. And here's, I want to just pause on that for one second. I just want to note one thing that's really cool about God here is that he would still do miracles and deliver prophecies and bring spiritual freedom to people through those who aren't following him. And the fact that God would work, like Paul talks about this in Philippians. He says, some are preaching the gospel out of like ill motives. And he's like, but who cares? People are following Jesus. That's crazy. So that's a cool thing about Jesus. He says, many people are going to say all these crazy things on that day. I don't, I don't particularly think, like I said, that we're going to say those things. But I think that we'll have our new cultural version of the types of things we would say. What would Jesus say that someone might say at that point? Would people say like, oh, you know, I was really nice, I was really, you know, kind, I mowed my neighbor's grass, I did all these things, I volunteered at church, I showed up to church like once every two Sundays, I don't know, it's better than most Canadians, like, I did all these things, I gave this money. You know, I'm sure many of us, if we've been around church for a while, have known people who have done all those things, who've given lots of money, done all these things, and, and, and done all the churchy things, and... <laughs> At some point, you've realized they are devoid of the fruit of the Spirit in them. Like, they are, yeah, I'm just going to cut off. <laughs> You're like, you are not a reflection of the image of Jesus. And, and you can do a lot of things. But Jesus says, it's only those who do the will of my Father in heaven. And I want to note two things that I think are in crisis in the modern church. And perhaps they apply to you, or perhaps they're just... Um, encouraging as you continue on in your journey. The first is listening, and the second is living. We live in what's been said the most biblically illiterate generation since the Reformation. 
And for those of you who don't know, this wasn't really in print before the Reformation. So basically, since we've had access, we are the generation that's the least engaged with what I believe is the primary way that God speaks to us. When I go and speak somewhere, my primary goal is to just hopefully bring some intrigue and some interest and fascination around the text so that people will engage with the voice of God on their own time. Like, I know, I've got this killer sermon, I'm the greatest preacher you've ever heard, and it's gonna change your life. No, I hope some of the words this morning are motivating or convicting or encouraging. But like what I have, what Dave has, what Terrell Johnson has, it's the leftovers of just engaging with the voice of God in our own time. The only reason I do this is because when I was 17, I decided to start following Jesus, and I sat down with this book, not this one, it's pretty destroyed, the one I had, but, and I, I just started reading, and I just wrote, I don't get that, or I have a question about that, or that verse is cool, I like that, I don't like that. Um, that's okay to say, and I just started listening. How on earth can you do the will of someone that you don't listen to. What's so fascinating to me, and maybe this is like, but I've been around the situation, so hopefully this is not insensitive to say, when someone passes away and they've written out a fairly clear written will, and then the family just goes sideways over it, it's just like, well, like they, it's pretty clear, you know? And that's tough. I'm not like, I, I get it. It's like family dynamics are weird around death and stuff like that. But that's the point, is this person has spoken for their will for what would happen after they're not here. It's actually quite the picture of what Jesus is talking about here. If you are in a relationship or you've been married for less than five years, you're probably trying to do the will of your partner, right? After five years, you kind of just give up and you're just like, whatever. I'm just, they're already locked down and stuff, so they need me to help with the kids. But before that, you're dating Oh, you want to do everything to do the will of that person. You pretend to be someone who you're not when you're dating because you're like, I just need them to say yes, right? And it's like you do everything you can to do the will of this person. And the only way you can do that is by listening to them and getting to know them and understanding their will. You act on behalf of someone, which is the call that Jesus has given us when we are his image bearers, his ambassadors. We act on his behalf by doing his will in the world. And we can't do that when we turn to him and say, shut up, you know, like when we, we ignore what he's talking about. The modern day Christian mostly lives off of the spiritual leftovers of a pastor every second Sunday on a Sunday morning. Most people in church have not read this book even through once. Most people in church hardly ever read it. And I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to hopefully encourage and motivate you and say that there is a God who speaks and he loves you and he wants to engage with you and he cares about you and he has better ideas for how your life can be lived than any blog you can read, than any other thing you can look at, at anything you can learn about, at any inspirational talk, at any sermon that could ever be preached, there's this living God who speaks and can change your life. This, this voice, maybe you know Genesis 1. It's where Christians go to argue about the age of the earth. What a waste of Genesis 1. Genesis 1 is not the grounds for us to be like, here's how old the earth is and here are the specifics of creation. Here's one of the greatest things we learn from Genesis 1. Our God, in comparison to most gods on the planet, is a God who speaks. And when he does, oh my goodness, way crazier stuff than when I speak, my kids just disobey me. When God speaks, a whole earth gets created, you know? It's like, it's crazy what God can do. He starts speaking, light, mountains, trees, all this stuff, stuff just erupts. Life comes out of his voice. And 
as we read the Bible, two chapters later, it doesn't take long, the fall in the garden, what's the real issue there? They stopped listening. They just stopped listening. They're not listening. Did God really say that? I don't know. They could have gone and asked, but they just stopped listening. They started twisting his words. They started confusing it. And I care about you enough to say, to, to maybe go a little bit hard after this and say, let's not be that generation of the church and pass off to the next generation a church that is totally devoid of the voice of God. God loves you and he wants to speak to you and that same life that he speaks through at creation, he wants to continue to speak to you. And when you listen, then you're able to do as well. This is a really simplistic equation. Following Jesus, I think, is simple, but it's difficult. So what I mean is it's not like a complex equation of I gotta do all these things or whatever. It's a simple equation. It's really hard to do. The past few decades of the church have been a lot of like, you know, maybe trying to dumb it down a little bit of like, oh, it's easy trying to get people in. It's not easy to follow Jesus. It's really hard. He, he says it's really hard. Um, and I think we need to start telling people that. It's hard to lay down your life and to take up your cross and follow Jesus. But it's a simple equation, so we listen. And when we listen, what do we hear? Well, let's specifically talk about what we hear in the sermon that Jesus is giving. There's one of the primary themes in this is a theme that we don't really love. And this is more countercultural to our modern day church than it would have been to Jesus's audience there. And that's one of holiness and righteousness. Because you say, Brian, bro, saved by grace. Don't you know it? Don't you know? Like Jesus, update your theology thing. It's actually by grace now, Jesus. We've kind of moved on from the 80s church. It's like we're always swinging this pendulum to, because many of us would feel like, oh, historically the church was too legalistic. And I would never say the church should be about legalism. But then we swing to the other end and we say things like, we've got to be in the world, not of the world. And usually we just say that to say like, I just want to do whatever I want and kind of like put Jesus' seal of approval on it. And one day Jesus is going to be like, sorry, who are you? So Jesus, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Remember this in Matthew 5? hunger and thirst for righteousness, you'll be filled. Blessed are the pure in heart, those who live a holy and righteous life. You'll see God. Blessed are you when you're persecuted because of righteousness. Rejoice and be glad. At the end of salt and light, we love salt and light. We're like, oh, salt and light. At the end, what's he say? Let your good deeds, that's triggering language in the modern day church, let your good deeds shine before people so that they will see God and glorify him. It's like Jesus has this continual bend on talking about holiness, and that's because he is a holy God. We say God is love, God is compassion, he is all those things, but at his core, he's holy, and that just means he's separated, he's unaffected by the brokenness of a sinful, fallen world. And through this sermon, he says, you can live in that holiness and righteousness, and I can rescue you. It's not a list of do this, don't do that. It's an invitation to participate in his character and be liberated from the bondage of a broken world. And in Matthew 5, verses 17 to 20, verse 20, which is my favorite passage of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, he's talking about the law, and he says, your righteousness needs to surpass that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law in order to be part of the kingdom of heaven. Wow, that's crazy. The Pharisees, teachers of the law, they're like professional holy people. They get like paid, they get like applauded for being holy, um, and they like go around, they're like, look how holy I am, and they like pray on street corners and stuff like that. Sounds weird in our culture. In Jesus's culture, when he talks about holiness and living a righteous life, it's countercultural in the way he does it, but it's, I think, more countercultural in our church today. That Jesus would call us to a high moral standard, to actually like live life free of immoral things of this world, 
Not in a legalistic, like, oh, look what I'm doing kind of way, but to actually be free for it. Jesus goes on. He says, you know, chop off your hand, gouge out your eye, pray for those who hate you, you know, be honest, be committed in your marriages, all these things. And at the end of Matthew 5, he brings it way down and makes it really easy. And he just says, be perfect like God is perfect. And at that point, I'm like, okay, I think I'm out. And he continues on with this thing. And we arrive in Matthew 7, 21 to 23, and we zoom back in. Only the one who does the will of my Father. So if you're listening to the previous parts of his sermon, you get the sense that what Jesus is saying is, listen to me as I speak and express my character, and now participate in that character. Participate in that. Live a righteous life. I say this as countercultural in the church because I think that if you actually really try to start living what Jesus is calling you to here, you'll actually probably get more opposition from people within the church than you'll get from outside the church. Maybe equal. Your experience might be different. I know I've certainly experienced it. You start to live, live in and learn, lean into the radical values of Jesus of Nazareth. What did the church do to him? They kicked him out. They nailed him to a cross. So at some point, if you're really living this out, the North American gospel would say, Oh, well, like, people should like you if you're a Christian, you know? People should, like, see Jesus in you and like you. Well, that didn't work. <laughs> that wasn't Jesus' experience. Worst case, some people in the church, like, oppose you and insult you and persecute you. I, I mean, like, let's take it to an extreme. They crucify you. You know, a few seconds later, Jesus is like, yeah, same. You know, been there. I got you. Now, I'm not saying you should go around ticking people off. So if Jesus' culture were people who are trying to practice holiness in this big way, I would say that our culture is one who, who tries to practice niceness um, to an extreme. And so what we do is we hear the commands of Jesus, live like this, and then we go to a cultural definition. This is what the Pharisees did. God says, be holy. So they go say, well, what does our culture say is holy living? And they come back and report to Jesus and they say, we're fulfilling your command with a cultural definition. In our culture, Jesus says, go love people and, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. And so we're like, okay, how does the world define love rather than saying, how does Jesus define love? How does Jesus define his calling? And we try to define it through a cultural lens because it's more comfortable. It's less costly. Jesus is a costly king to follow. Countercultural kingdom. I just spoke at a church two weeks ago on the Sermon on the Mount. They're doing the upside down kingdom. At the church I worked at, we called it the not normal kingdom. I mean, how many different ways can pastors say Jesus is a weird king with a really strange kingdom? It's weird. It's weird in the church. It's weird everywhere. And if you actually live it out, people are going to look at you and be like, that's weird. And that's not bad. That's not a bad thing. The church will tell you, we got to nice people into the kingdom of heaven. You know, everyone in our world is nice. I broke my ankle eight weeks ago. Do you know how many people opened the door for me? Everybody. It's not like when I'm at the store and someone opens the door, I'm like, oh, you must be a follower of Jesus. You open. No, that's just like our world. And we've taken what's comfortable and easy in our world and been like, I'm fulfilling the great commission by this rather than taking the commands of our king and saying, now I'm truly fulfilling the great commission. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap this up. There's no clock at the back, so if I'm like hours over, I apologize. Jesus invites us to listen, to live. The next week, Dave's going to talk about it. But Jesus, he wraps up his sermon by simply saying this. Whoever hears my words and puts them into practice, or whoever hears my words and doesn't put them into practice. Wise builder, foolish builder. Fundamentally, that's the call here. At the end of his great sermon, Jesus says, listen to me. Let my voice change you. And out of that, you are going to live a righteous life.
your life is going to change. It's going to be a life of surrender and sacrifice where you start turning away from the things of the world and you lean into that still, small, quiet voice of God as he speaks to you. And maybe one point of encouragement I want to offer is this, is that I'm pretty big on the effect that I think engaging with scripture has on the life of a follower of Jesus. Like I said, I think it's the primary, primary way God speaks to us. I don't think it's the only way. I think it's the primary way. Maybe you're here and you're like, I've tried. It's so difficult. I get it. I'm in like a Bible near reading plan. We're just wrapping up numbers now. I get it, man. Like it's tough. If, you've, if you don't know what I'm talking about, like I'm so sorry because at one point you're going to get there and you're just going to be like, oh. But that's how every relationship works, right? You've been married for a while or you part of your family. When you're in a committed relationship, you spend pe- time with those people. Like my, my wife's right here. I can talk about something. Sometimes we spend time together and it's boring. That's okay. I mean, not for her, but like for me, you know, I'm quite. <laughs> it's boring. It's not like if someone the next day is like, what'd you guys learn about each other? That's how we treat the Bible. What'd you learn? What'd you... It's like, we don't learn things about each other every time. Sometimes it's like tense. You know, sometimes it's great. Sometimes we learn things. Sometimes it's fun. Sometimes it's not as fun. Like, that's what relationships are. Is you spend time with the one you're committed to. And, and, and there's this, this great God who says, I want to speak to you. And I get it. Netflix and Disney Plus and all these things are so exciting. And the world will tell you you should be this kind of parent and that kind of parent. And you should do these things. And you should do this in your job. And there's so much noise. There's so many voices and there's this voice that wants to speak to you. And I encourage you, if you've never really dug into this, start. And at some point, you're going to fall off and you're going to give it five minutes a day. At some point, you're going to miss some days. You're going to feel discouraged and just want to give up. And just hop back in and just get back in. I, I have no doubt that it will change your life more than coming and listening to a person like me will ever change your life. But as you do, have the ears to hear. When Jesus says, sacrifice in this way, chop off that hand live like this to it. There will be times when you want to like take that page out of your Bible and you're just like, nope, that's not in there. Those are those refining moments where Jesus, is, Jesus changes your life. Here's one last picture and then I'm, I promise I'll wrap up. Like I said, it's hard. I think many of us would like to think about the Jesus of Nazareth who's walking that narrow path. He's dragging a cross up this hill. He's beaten nearly to death. He's like naked. People are insulting him, persecuting him, and he's dragging that cross. And I think in our modern day area, many of us would be content to attach a rope to that cross and the other end to a lazy boy and recline on a lazy boy and have him drag us up that narrow path. And I just don't think that's it. Following Jesus is quite hard. It's the hardest thing I've done in my life, but it's the most life-giving, transformative thing I've ever done in my life. And they know that one day, Jesus, you can read about this in Matthew 25, and he's, re- he's referencing it here. One day he's going to come, and he's going to have that moment where he separates the sheep and the goats. And, and maybe the band wants to come up. I, don't, I actually should have asked how we're doing transitions and stuff like that. I'll tell you what. The transitions, now that I'm on crutches, brutal. You know that moment at the end of the sermon where we're supposed to be really serious and like, oh, yeah, and like the Holy Spirit's moving, and then a guy has to pick up his crutches and clunk off. Anyways, I'm about to ruin the moment anyway, so might as well have ruined it now. So... Here's my picture. Here's my hope for Calvary Baptist. I don't know how many of you I'll see again anytime soon or quite frankly ever. We all live in the lower mainland and there are a lot of people around here. But one day, 
I hope that I'll be standing there and I'll kind of look over to the left or the right and I'll see some of these faces as Jesus says, well done, my good and faithful servant. And I sincerely hope that I'll see very few of these faces as Jesus looks at them and says, I, I don't, I'm not quite sure we've met. I don't think I know you. And I would hope as a church community that we take that invitation, that warning quite seriously and lean into that and be like, how do we, how do we become a community of the well done, good and faithful servants rather than the, I'm not quite sure we've met. Yeah, one day, one day we'll be there together and I hope many of us will listen and live in a way that that invitation is such a warm welcome. I'd love to pray for you guys. Jesus, you're so good. You're so kind, loving. Above all of it, you're holy and you're perfect. And I thank you that you invite us to live in that space with you. Oh, it's hard. And I thank you that you don't just leave that to us to do, but you will strengthen us and give us the courage to do that. For any of us here who might be struggling to maybe genuinely say, Lord, Lord, master, ruler of my life, and surrender and live in that way. Maybe, maybe, you would, maybe you would give that little push, that little bit of strengthening or courage that one might need to step into that and to live that. May your flock of sheep be, be broadened as Calvary Baptist continues to live in that way and invite others and disciple others in that way. We love you, Jesus. Amen.